A very warm welcome to the Four Corners podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned in last week and passed on comments of support. Please do keep praying for the podcast, particularly that it may be an encouragement to those listening and that the podcast may faithfully serve God as we seek to raise up workers for the harvest. This week, the podcast is taking a trip across the pond where our US director, Brandon Nelson, is interviewing Professor J.D. Payne on the biblical theology of mission. Over to you, Brandon. Today we're talking about a biblical theology of mission with J.D. Payne. J.D. serves as professor of Christian ministry at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. He's written several books on mission and hosts a mission podcast called Strike the Match, which I've listened to and would highly uh, recommend. And he's married to Sarah and they have three children. J.D., thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's great to have you. Well, thank you, Brandon. It's an honor to be with you, brother. Great to uh, be a part of this uh, recording uh, in your all's ministry. Today, we're going to be uh, talking about biblical theology of of mission with you. But before we do that, I thought it'd be great to hear maybe a bit of your own background in mission. I know you've described yourself as more of a, a Barnabas type than a Paul type, and uh, I wonder what you what you mean by that. And um, yeah, how's that played out in your life? Uh, yes, so I, I, I never have really seen myself as as a missionary. Uh, in my uh, in my entrance into vocational ministry, uh, it was into pastoral ministry, and and over the years, uh, you know, that has kind of uh, morphed and changed. Uh, whereby I'm I'm also you know doing a great deal of teaching and training, and so that that whole Ephesians four eleven and twelve uh, pastor teacher role is is the role that I I have identified with over the years. I um, uh, have pastored for for 19 years. Uh, been involved in the classroom uh, uh, training at different levels for uh, about 25 years now. The Lord has allowed me to serve uh, with church planting teams and to train a lot of church planters uh, to be a part of um, serving the body of Christ and sending out a, a good number of uh, church planting teams throughout the world, uh, both in North America and in other countries. And so that's sort of been my my journey. I've always seen myself more as the one who is is there to to help, to come alongside of, to equip, to uh, vouch for, if you will, rather than the Apostle Paul type. Uh, I know that Barnabas did a great deal of apostolic type work, but um, but I don't I don't see myself kind of in that Pauline role, if you if you will. Mm-hmm. That's a vital role for sure. And um, I wonder if we could pivot then. To, let's talk about the uh, the book. So it's called Theology of Mission: A Concise Biblical Theology, and it's it's come out this past year. And uh, maybe just as we're starting to think about it, as you're writing it, who were you writing it for? Um, who, who would benefit from reading uh, Theology of Mission? So that, that subtitle is critical. <laughs> the issue of a, a concise biblical theology. There are some outstanding uh, volumes that are out there uh, that I have been greatly influenced by over the years and continue to read and recommend. Uh, however, I, I really felt the need uh, to to write something that was that was brief, uh, that could uh, easily be grasped uh, by uh, church leaders, by uh, students uh, in the in, in the seminary context, uh, and at the same time uh, be be supported by a great deal of the scholarship that's out there. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
trying to keep it concise was uh, was a challenge, but that was part of the goal. And and those uh, those two audiences, uh, those within a local church context, and and those that are uh, students right now, those were my primary um, uh, folks in mind as I was writing this book. Mm-hmm. And you've got some helpful discussion questions at the end of each each chapter as well. To yeah, it, you know, it kind of it kind of helps make the uh, the the material a little bit. Uh, uh, practical, if you will, it kind of helps move things from the theoretical to the application, and 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 I wanted to I wanted to do that, even though clearly this is a book on theology, but you know I believe all theology uh, should lead to application, but I, I wanted to be able to have some some time at the end of each chapter for the reader to be able to stop and reflect uh, on some of these concepts, and then to think about his or her life and how they could potentially be played played out uh, at the individual level or in the local church context or ministry. Mm. So it's a, it's a concise biblical theology. Now, of course, every Bible believing Christian wants their theology to be biblical. Um, but when you're talking about biblical theology, you're talking about a, a specific category mm-hmm. of, of study. So, so what is that? What are we talking about in general when we're talking about biblical theology? So when you look at biblical theology, uh, the way that I approach it is I, I take the various uh, sections, if you will, of the Old Testament and New Testament and begin to to trace the theme of the mission of God in those sections and ask questions related to, you know, how did the author, using you know, his, his writing style uh, with the cultural uh, and historical issues of, of that moment in the audience uh, that was the primary you know, recipient of the um, of the letter or of the uh, of the the writing. Um, how how did those how did that theme develop? And so what we see is sort of this progression uh, moving from uh, Torah uh, in the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, to Revelation in the end of the New Testament of of how this uh, concept of the mission of God uh, uh, God's plan to redeem and restore a broken creation, how that unfolds and develops. And so that's what a biblical theology does. It tries to take those various uh, uh, sections, look at various epics in time, look specifically at the author, and, and kind of zeroes in and then tries to weave the themes together uh, mm-hmm. across the, the canon of Scripture. Mm-hmm. There are different biblical theology books that, that are out there with different um, uh, the emphasis in different places. Now, when it comes to a biblical theology of mission, so is is, is mission just a a subplot of the kind of overarching narrative of Scripture, or or is it or is it something more? I think it's something more. I, I think that it is uh, very significant to to understanding uh, the the storyline, the narrative flow uh, of the Bible. Uh, understanding who God is, understanding uh, you know who Christ is, uh, understanding the church, understanding our, our purpose you know in the world and, and you know in the kingdom, and so you know theologians, uh, biblical scholars have have only within the past few decades become very serious about looking at the Old Testament, New Testament through uh, a, a, a missional lens, if if I can say that uh, the language that's being used today is a missional hermeneutic. Uh, a way of interpreting the Bible in light of God's mission. And so it, it's it's not it, something that is just kind of a, uh, an afterthought that's over there in the corner, uh, but the mission of God really uh, is, is quite strong running uh, from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation chapter 22. And I would say um, that a missional hermeneutic, it takes into account uh, 
to use a technical expression, a Christological approach to looking at the Bible, you know, looking at it, you know, with Christ at the center and, and why he came and what he did. But we have to we have to understand that if it wasn't for for God's mission, uh, th- there would be no Christological, you know, focus. There would be no atonement. There would be no resurrection. And so the, the concept, I think, for a long period of time in, in church history has been often overlooked. Uh, but there are some some ex- excellent works that are out there on this topic right now trying to say we need to look at the scriptures through uh, the hermeneutic, the interpretive framework and lens, if you will, of, um, of God's mission. Mm. So when it comes to the mission of God um, across the whole of scripture, could you give us maybe the, uh, I guess, the 10,000 foot view of that, of that storyline of scripture? I realize we could take hours and <laughs> work our way through that. Uh, but maybe just give us a, a snapshot there of what what is this this kind of ten thousand foot view of the mission of God across the pages of Scripture? Yes, yeah, so so you know if you if you ask a, a great deal of people today in in evangelical circles, especially in uh, the Western traditionally Western countries, but you know specifically in my context context here in the United States, uh, about what God is doing. Um, it, it does not take long before someone says, well, well God's about, uh, or, or what we're supposed to be doing in relation to what God is doing is bringing glory to him. And I would, I would agree with that. And we, we hear about the, the issue of uh, what the church does in the world brings glory to God. You know, God brings glory to himself, yes. But we have to think, I think, practically about that issue. And so the way that I approach it in this book is to ask the question, well, what do we see Genesis through Revelation? And I think we see God bringing glory to himself through the blessing of the nations. So the blessing of the nations. Uh, He he begins, you know, in Torah prior to the fall to to bless the nations. And he gets very specific to a particular people, that being Israel, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he works uh, in and through primarily uh, the church uh, to take that gospel again to to uh, to the nations throughout the world. But how does God do that? How does he go about bringing glory to himself through the blessing of, of the nations? And I think what we see, to go back to your 35,000-foot perspective, is what I refer to as a pattern of purpose. So I call it a pattern of purpose. And, and it, it looks like this, and it, and it manifests itself in a variety of different ways, whether you're in Torah or whether you're in the prophets or whether you're in the synoptics or the general epistles. And, and so here's the pattern of purpose. There is there is someone, and it could very well be God himself, there is someone who is sent into the world. So it's the pattern of purpose begins with ascending into the world. Uh, the second thing that we see show up in this pattern of purpose of how God blesses the nations is that there is a proclamation of hope that comes through judgment. So a proclamation through judgment. Then there is an entering into relationship. So those that do not have that relationship with the creator, but they hear this message of hope through judgment. Uh, They can enter into relationship through a certain means, and then they begin to receive the blessings from the one who created them, and he calls them to then live according to his ethic, his kingdom ethic in the world, and that ethic talks about how they're to relate back to him, how they're to relate to other people that are part of the kingdom, his kingdom, and then how they're supposed to relate to those that are outside the kingdom. And then that cycle repeats itself. That pattern then repeats itself with those who are now 
these people who are now receiving his blessings, living out the kingdom ethic, they're now sent back into the world to proclaim a message of hope through judgment so that others will enter into relationship, receive blessing, and so on and so forth. And so from a 35,000-foot perspective, that's what I see uh, showing up in a variety of, of ways as uh, we see this working of God uh, throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. And in the book, you then you you walk through. You don't ju- just look at the the big picture. You also walk through the different sections of Scripture and show how that pattern works itself out. Are there particular sections where it's it's more challenging to do that, or maybe you could give us an example of where you see that pattern at work in a, in a certain part of Scripture? Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great um, great question. And the answer is yes. Uh, so, you know, if, if we're being honest, when, when it comes to do, doing theology, you know, we, we don't force things into the text. You know, we 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 don't. We don't go looking for things that are not there. I mean, where the where the Bible is silent, we have to be silent. And you know, where it whispers, we we whisper, and where it shouts, we shout. So the answer to your question is yes. There there are certain passages or certain sections, texts um, of the scriptures that that scholars do find challenging. Uh, but I think we do see aspects of, of of God revealing His mission. You know, in in those. Uh, those difficult areas, if you will. So, so for example, um, when I look at the Old Testament, I, I follow the Tanakh structure, so the uh, the Jewish, you know, um, uh, Hebrew scriptures, if you will. And so, the Tanakh structure uh, is organized in, into three categories. It's organized first by Torah, and then it's organized into um, what is referred to as the prophets, and the third section is what is referred to as the writings. And so you, you do see very strongly in Torah and in the prophets uh, the mission of God and that pattern of purpose that I m- mentioned just a moment ago that repeats itself. But when we get to the writings, there are there are places in the writings whereby we see it's 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 challenging at times. I mean the the, the section known as the writings in Tanakh uh, were primarily written as books that taught the people of God how they were to live life according to Torah. Uh, in light of all the circumstances that they would face, whatever those may be. So I think we see God's mission there playing out in and through his people as they live through difficult times and exciting times and so on and so forth. But but you, you do see elements of challenge uh, that's there. Uh, another section in the in the Bible that's that we see where uh, looking at the mission of God is is often challenging is in the general epistles. So we jump over into the New Testament, you know, what what most of us would recognize as the, the general writings or general epistles. And there's not a great deal of scholarship on this topic. So uh, if, if someone out there is looking to to do some scholarship on God's mission uh, in the New Testament, the general epistles, that's that's an area that needs to be needs to be uh, looked at. Uh, but that is also a challenging uh, s- uh, section of the Bible to talk about this particular issue. Hmm. And, and you also wrestle with whether mission is centripetal or centrifugal in the book. Yes. The first question about that, is it centrifugal or is it centrifugal? Well, with me uh, coming from, you know, growing up in Appalachia in yeah. uh, southeastern Kentucky, I have I have a, an accent that um, uh, that I just say it either way. And everybody just writes me off and saying, oh, he's you know, he's just from the hills <laughs> of Kentucky. Um, so whatever you want to say, brother, I'll, I'll respond to it. I, I try to I try to emphasize the the F sound or the P sound. Mm-hmm. Centrifugal. Centrifugal. <laughs> Let's go with centrifugal then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, that kind of tension, is it, is it centrifugal right. or centri- centrifugal? How, how do you see that working out in scripture? So, so those are not, yeah, those are not original to me at all. Uh, they've been around in um, uh, missiological circles and, and biblical studies for some time. And, and what they really are getting at is 
when you think about God's mission in the Old Testament or God's mission in the New Testament, was it primarily about the nations of the world being drawn to Israel in the Old Testament, for example, or what, or was it about Israel being sent out or flung out to the nations? And the question, you know, is also asked in the New Testament as well. So the concept of centripetal is the notion of pulling or drawing in. And so the, the, here, for those of you that like mnemonic devices, uh, centripetal with the P, P starts the word pull, so pulling. So pulling to Israel to see Israel's God. Um, was the mission of God primarily about that in the Old Testament? Or centrifugal with the F, F uh, is the first letter in the word flinging, so the sending out, you know, was it primarily about sin, sin, you know, being flung out? And a lot of scholars will say, well, in the Old Testament, it was primarily about the nations being pulled uh, to Israel, to that community, to lock arms with the Hebrew people. Uh, in the New Testament, it's more about uh, the people of God being sent out, you know, flung out, so to speak. And, and I think you see elements of both of those in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, but I do think that primarily in the Old Testament, it's that, it's that pulling, if you will, that, that historically the nations, the Gentiles, were going to be coming into to the people of God um, just you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. So Ruth the Moabitess comes in. You, know, you see um, uh, Uriah the Hittite. Uh, you see a mixed multitude coming out of Egypt with the Hebrews. Uh, you you have you know Rahab. So it's it's a Gentile here, it's a Gentile there, it's a Gentile over there, it's a few over here. But the prophets begin to speak of a day where there's going to be a, a large sweeping in gathering of the Gentiles, an eschatological, an end times uh, in gathering of the Gentiles that that we know of when we look at the New Testament uh, begins to happen uh, after the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. And so you do see a significant amount of the people being sent out to the nations to preach the gospel before the end will come. And so those two concepts, again, they're not original with me. That's that's what scholars mean when they talk about those things. I mean, we, we see elements of, you know, you know, Jonah goes to the Assyrians. We see at the, at the very end of the book of Isaiah, the, the, the notion of the, the people of God, the Hebrew people, you know, actually going you know, to the nations. But we don't see a great deal of that in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Well, moving that then into the New Testament and into the application to the church today, like what does that say uh, as far as how we should be approaching mission? You know, the question of, as, as a local church thinks about mission, should we be focusing on more as it more of an attractional thing, or are we more of a missional church? Is it come and see, or is it go and tell, or a mix of both? How how does that speak to that? Great question. Uh, you know, if you go into a room and you ask a lot of Christians, uh, you, know, you know, tell us about God's heart for the nations, you know, tell us about the Great Commission work, tell us about God's mission um, by giving me a biblical story or giving me a biblical text. And oftentimes they will, they will give you Matthew 28, you know, 18 through 20, you know, what is traditionally called the Great Commission. They may mention Acts 1-8 about being my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Uh, maybe someone would go to Matthew chapter 24 about preaching the gospel to all nations. But beyond that, there, we do not get a lot of feedback from church members about why we, we are part of this thing called the mission of God. Uh, and I think that that has caused the church a great deal of problems over the years, and, and that leads us into a lot of practical problems today, which you know I know that extends beyond the realm of our, our conversation. But what you see when you get into the New Testament is not that something just starts new 
uh, or that everything that has gone before related to God's mission, you know, that's to kind of be either discarded or seen as insignificant. Rather, what you see in the New Testament is just a, it's just a, a continuation. It, it's in continuity with everything that we, we just studied through in, in Torah, prophets, and writings. Uh, God is just continuing to, to build upon that covenant made with Abraham, uh, that covenant made with, uh, uh, with his people there at Mount Sinai, that covenant made in 2 Samuel chapter 7 with David, that, that new covenant that Jeremiah talks about. He, he's just building upon all of this to bring about his blessing to the nations, you know, glorifying himself by you know, bringing about you know, the blessing you know, to the nations. And so when you get to the New Testament, there's still an element of all of those things that you, you, you just seen. So, for example, uh, the church is to be living in a community, manifesting and displaying, you know, the kingdom ethic, what it means to relate to God, to each other as a part of the kingdom and those outside the kingdom, just as Israel was able to do so and was supposed to do so. You know, going back to Exodus chapter 19, them being a, a holy priesthood as a nation, so to speak. You know, Peter picks up on that same language and applies it to believers. So you have you have Christians that were to be living this out, and there's an attractional element to that. But at the same time, they are uh, not to build a temple. They are, you know, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So instead of uh, Solomon standing up, you know, in First Kings chapter eight on the day of dedication of the temple, praying that God would draw the nations to the temple and would hear and answer any prayers that that they pray to Him, it's amazing that he that Solomon would pray that. Uh, now. Uh, we we have the same Holy Spirit filling us. And so wherever we go, wherever we're flung to, if you will, uh, there's an element that we're to live out this kingdom ethic that that is to be attractional. But at the same time, we're called to proclaim, you know, this good news, this message that it, it, it's, it's still a message of, of hope through judgment. People still have to repent, as Paul would say in Acts 20, 21, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in order for them to enter into relationship with the creator and experience his blessings, his face shining upon them, you know, like uh, Psalm 67 talks about. So, so what we see in the new Testament is there is no one temple that the nations, you know, stream to on one mountainside somewhere. Now we are flung all over the place. And as we go, we're representing the, you know, the temple of God, the Holy spirit of God, Christ is with us, you know, as we're making disciples, you know, of all nations, seeing them come, uh, to lock arms with the people of God. Israel did this, the New Testament church did this, and they basically were saying to the world, uh, if you want to see where things are going, you know, take a look at what we're doing, you know, lock arms with us, you know, in our God. Mm -hmm. So that can both be seen locally in any any given church, but also globally as churches are sending cross-culturally to other parts of the world. Ab absolutely, absolutely. As, as teams go into a variety of different places, you know, they, they're going in, uh, again, proclaiming a message, of hope through judgment as people respond in repentance and faith, they enter into that relationship, they experience God's blessings, they live out the kingdom ethic, they're sent into the world as well. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking about churches, but also just individual believers as well, kind of going into the epistles, particularly the Pauline epistles, you know, as he's writing to believers, you know, is he expecting uh, individual believers to be sharing their faith with others? Is he assuming that they're doing that already? Uh, so, so what's going on as Paul is encouraging believers on on mission? I think I think there's a there's an element of both. I think there's an element of of expectation that you're living this out, and at the same time, there is an element of exhortation and and teaching. You know, him calling them to live it out, and a great deal of how he does that in his epistles. He says, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." 
Um, there, there's a lot of debate in um, New Testament scholarship right now over this particular issue. Did the Apostle Paul expect the churches to be evangelistic? Basically a question that's being asked. And so I do think that we see that. I mean, Paul, you know, when he writes to the Colossians, for example, in the first chapter, he's talking about how the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world, bearing fruit, you know, with, within you. First uh, Thessalonians chapter one, he, he writes to the Thessalonians and he talks about how um, they became imitators of, you became imitators of us and the Lord and the word of the Lord rang forth from you all throughout Macedonia and Achaia, how you turn to God from, you know, from idols. Uh, you see at the end of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4, the apostle is, is calling the church to, to pray uh, you know, for him and, and, and his evangelistic ministry. And, and as, a part of, as a part of their praying for him and supporting him, they're, they're participating in that apostolic extension of what the church is doing. So you know, he talks about because of your faithfulness, you know, the gospel spreading into some of the high government areas. Uh, you know, because I'm in prison, they people uh, have become boldened about sharing their faith. And so you see these things, I believe, um, reflected in the 13 epistles that, that Paul wrote that contains an element of both of those things, that there is an expectation. And it's almost like well, I don't have to say much about it. It's just a, a part of who you are and what you should be doing. It, it's us in the 21st century that 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 find the issue necessary because there aren't a lot of people that are sharing their faith and living it out as a part of just who they are. But then I think he also is saying, you know, imitate me, model, you know, what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Yeah. I mean, you, you end, the, end the book by going through different points of application for the church today. So as we uh, come to grips with this biblical theology of mission, um, there are various ways it should be working itself uh, out in our, in our lives. Um, are there, are there particular points of application that stand out in your mind? We were just thinking about this kind of, uh, uh, attractional or missional model. Um, are, are there other areas that you think a church coming to grips with a biblical theology of mission where it could be really helpful in terms of application? I think that that the the obvious one is is look at look at a whole Bible theology related to this topic. Don't just focus in on a few New Testament passages to support uh, your um, mission work in the world. Uh, that's very critical, as I, as I mentioned a moment ago. And and I think when we begin to do that, we see that the, the the you know Genesis to Revelation of how God is is actively seeking to engage the nations and to bring them into relationship with Him, so that His favor may shine upon them, and His face may be upon them. Um, I think the churches will begin to recognize that some of the things that we call and do missions may not very well be. Uh, that which is biblically, you know, expected, and that some of the things that we should be given priority to uh, are things we're not given priority to in the moment. And I think we'll begin to develop a better appreciation and understanding for, in the New Testament, what we begin to describe as that apostolic work of the church sending out those uh, to go into areas where there is no foundation of the gospel, as Paul would say in Romans 15, to share the gospel, make disciples, plant churches, teach them how to obey Christ, and raise up leaders into those churches. And so I think that, that churches really need to see these things in light of the whole canon of Scripture and not just a few proof texts from the New Testament. Mm -hmm. I've got open in front of me Luke uh, chapter 24. You know, Jesus has just been on the Emmaus Road, and uh, mm -hmm. disciples are coming back reporting you know, what, what, they, what they saw and heard, and then he appears amongst his, his disciples. It says in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So just as we've been thinking about biblical theology, I'm praying that the Lord would, would open our, our hearts and our minds to see uh, him across uh, all of scripture and also see the mission that we have uh, been given uh, as well. I mentioned that you've got a podcast, and I, I know you're you're interested in Christian uh, history, and particularly the history of missions. And uh, a question I've wanted to ask you is, is this. If you could go back in, in the history of missions and interview anybody outside the pages of Scripture. Uh, <laughs> we always have to put a disclaimer on there, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who, who would that be, and uh, why would you want to interview them? Uh, man, that's a, that's a tough tough question because, you know, we're only looking at, what, 2,000 years and multitudes and multitudes of people that are out there. And I know as soon as I say this um, and we get off of this uh, this conversation, I'm going to say, oh, I should have said so-and-so. Um, but at this moment, at this moment, I would have to say it would be someone actually in the 20th century. Um, and, and that would be, I, I would like to, to go back uh, and have a conversation with Roland Allen. Uh, who is an Anglican priest uh, that uh, I have spent a great deal of time um, uh, reading his stuff, writing about him. I've been very much influenced by him missiologically, and he has influenced uh, many across the world uh, in the traditionally Western countries, but also in many majority world countries, and most people do not know that he has had such a huge influence on them. Uh, writer of the book, uh, 1912, uh, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours. Uh, 1927, wrote a book called The Spontaneous Expansion of the Church. Uh, I would like to do an interview with Roland Allen. J.D., what are you working on at the moment? How can folks be be praying for that? Oh, uh, yes, please, please be praying for my, my writing project at the moment. I am um, I'm working on, a, on a, an evangelism textbook. Uh, tentative title is uh, Understanding Evangelism. It's a, it's a comprehensive book, uh, so it's uh, you know, requiring a lot of time, a lot of work. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, an academic kind of work. To, you know, it's definitely falls into the textbook category. But over the past year, um, I, both my parents passed away, and so that has really um, slowed down my, my writing and my uh, deadlines and things of that nature. And so I just, just really would appreciate... Um, Appreciate just not only wisdom and guidance, but um, uh, just uh, for God's grace uh, in this time uh, as well. Lord willing, uh, it will hopefully be finished by next summer, the end of next summer, and probably it usually takes a publisher about twelve months to turn it around after that. So, so we'll see see how how that goes. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on today, JD. We really appreciate it and all your helpful insights. Well, thank you for uh, having me. Uh, you realize that you have me on and you're going to lose like all your listeners, right? Gonna say, they're going to say, no way, I'm not listening to that podcast. I'm not subscribing to that if they got that pain guy on there. So. Yeah, yeah. No, but seriously, brother, it's, it's, been, it's been a delight. It's a great, great honor. I appreciate you so much in your ministry. Absolutely. Well, the feelings mutual. Thank you so much. Well, the book is called Theology of Mission, a Concise Biblical Theology. And you can find more content from JD at jdpain.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Four Corners podcast brought to you by UFM Worldwide. Please subscribe for more podcasts like this and to support our mission family in prayer. Don't forget to like and share this podcast with friends and family. 
For more information about cross-cultural mission, visit our website, ufm.org.uk. UFM Worldwide, here to support churches and making disciples of all nations.